Chapter Four of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter Four. Accidents will happen. Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. Jimmy sang the familiar lines in a shrill falsetto with an artistic tremulo effect, and Pollyanna laughed till she dropped a tack hammer, and then, which was more serious, the box of tacks. She sat down on the brand-new rug to pick them up one by one, and threw a reproachful glance at Jimmy, who, picturesque in his shirt-sleeves, had struck a dramatic pose on the top of the step-ladder. "'Jimmy, you must stop being so funny.' If I spend all my time picking up tacks and that sort of thing, we'll never be in order. She spoke as if she were in a hurry to finish the task of getting settled, and Jimmy made a similar pretense, though secretly both of them realized that they had never had as much fun in all their lives before and were not likely to have it again. It had begun when they returned from the seashore and spent an exciting week buying their household furniture. It had been a thrilling experience to get the better of the salesmen, who were determined to sell them dining-room suites imposing enough for a palace whose cost was equal to the entire sum they had set apart for their furnishings, and when they held their ground in the skirmish they had it all to do over again in regard to purchasing a Davenport large enough to occupy most of the space in their tiny living-room. Jimmy had remarked, that while they would save money by this purchase, since it would be unnecessary to buy any other living-room furniture, it would be inconvenient to be unable to enter the dining-room, except by jumping over the Davenport. And Pollyanna, laughing as all good wives are bound to laugh at their husbands' witticisms, had laughed still harder at the expression of perplexity on the face of the salesman. They had five rooms to furnish, or perhaps four and a quarter would be nearer the truth, for no one could regard the kitchen as really a room. Even the agent of the building had referred to it as a kitchenette, and that was clearly an exaggeration. Pollyanna said, optimistically, that it would save steps. Jimmy remarked that if the time ever came, when he did not feel like drying the dinner dishes, he could always make the excuse that there was not room for him. The furniture all delightfully new and shining, was in place by now. Their wedding presents, sent down by express from Beldingsville, stood around in captivating disorder. Pollyanna and Jimmy were getting the full flavour of an entirely novel experience. While they pretended to be in a great hurry to finish, in reality they made every move as deliberate as they well could, for some instinct warned them that whatever joys awaited them on ahead, the rapture of the first nest-making was one that could never be duplicated. Jimmy moved the step-ladder over to the window to put up the fixtures for the white curtains, and peered out into the summer night. If Pollyanna had been noticing, she would have seen a shadow cross his face. Something in his voice made her look up quickly as he said, "'How are you enjoying the view, Pollyanna?' "'The view? Why, of course, I haven't had a great deal of time to look out of the window yet, but—' "'When you do have time,' Jimmy interrupted, "'you'll enjoy the fire escapes.' 
Of course, you've been accustomed to looking out on trees and grass and flower-beds, and you may not be up to appreciating the aesthetic possibilities of fire-escapes. But you'll come to it, Pollyanna. The mockery of his voice changed suddenly to seriousness. I wonder if we made a mistake in not taking a front apartment, even if it did cost more. It was not a new question, by any means. They had discussed it earnestly before signing their lease. The big building was constructed around a central court, and, while the outer apartments gave on to the street, the inner faced the court. There was light and air in plenty, but, as the windows of their living-room commanded a view of the rear of the opposite apartments, together with an impressive array of fire-escapes, the outlook could hardly be regarded as inspiring. At times Jimmy experienced a harassing fear that he had sacrificed Pollyanna to his own pride. Perhaps he should have used his uncle's allowance to make his wife more comfortable, instead of turning it over in a lump to Aunt Polly. Pollyanna read his doubt in his overcast face, and scrambled up from the rug, where she had at last succeeded in corralling the last of the elusive tacks. "'Now listen, Jimmy,' she exclaimed. I'm gladder than ever that we didn't take a front apartment. Of course it means quite a saving in rent, and beside that it's more interesting. Oh, indeed, Jimmy scoffed unbelievingly. It really is, Jimmy. When you look out from the front of those other apartments, all you see is the street. And what is there interesting about the street? But from here you can see all sorts of things. Women washing dishes, and making cake, and pressing things with an electric iron and yesterday such a pretty girl sat out on the fire-escape to dry her hair after she had washed it. She had such lovely black hair, and when it dried it curled up all over her head. Jimmy laughed, remembering Pollyanna's childish admiration for black curls. He finished his fixtures and then came over to her, put his arm about her, and kissed her absent-mindedly, as if he were thinking of something entirely different. To carry out the pretense, he said, how about hanging some pictures? Lovely, agreed Pollyanna. When the pictures are hung, it will really seem like getting settled, won't it, dear? Jimmy approached a row of pictures leaning against the wall and took up the largest. As he studied it, his expression changed noticeably. Out of the corner of his eye he looked at Pollyanna, whose manner had become defensive. Hmm, coughed Jimmy, his head on one side, as befits a connoisseur in art. I'd really forgotten this. To whom do we owe this gem? Now, Jimmy. Why, there's no harm in asking who gave us a particular picture, is there? No, of course not. Only, it was Mrs. Frost. Pollyanna tried to assume a sprightly air. Where do you think we had better hang it? If you ask me, in the darkest corner of the front hall, or else behind some door that always stands open. Now, Jimmy, please. "'Of course you've had abundant opportunities for the study of art in foreign capitals, Mrs. Pendleton, and if you assure me this is deserving of my admiration, I'll take your word for it.' "'It's my idea,' said Pollyanna firmly, "'that we should think more of people's good intentions than—of—well—' "'Meaning,' translated Jimmy, "'that you don't like it any better than I do.' "'Oh, Jimmy, let's not talk about it. You see, she wanted to give us pleasure.' then the surest way to gratify that amiable desire of hers is to hang it just as I suggested, where neither of us will see it, unless we go on purpose. Oh, please, Jimmy, 
If we bought something we didn't like, we could make fun of it as much as we pleased. But wedding presents are different. When you think of all the kindness and goodwill they stand for, it makes them almost... almost sacred, said Pollyanna earnestly. So please don't joke any more. All right, I won't. Say, how do you think that watercolour of the Kelseys would look over the table? Pollyanna approved the suggestion, and then they had a wonderful time deciding whether the watercolour was too high or too low, or exactly right. Jimmy, after hanging it, climbed down from the stepladder to help Pollyanna decide, and in that absent-minded way of his, slipped his arm about her while they were making up their minds. Perhaps that was one reason why it took so long. Finally, they came to the conclusion that the watercolour would appear to better advantage if hung two inches to the right and one inch higher, and Jimmy made the necessary changes. Then they inspected it again and pronounced it perfect. In this deliberate and agreeable fashion they hung three pictures, and Jimmy announced that he was hungry. Ravenous was his word. "'Why, Jimmy Pendleton!' cried the delighted Pollyanna. You said, when we finished dinner, that you'd eaten so much that you wouldn't want anything more for a week. It only shows how little we know of ourselves. I'm as hungry as a bear just out of winter quarters. Any pie? Jimmy, tonight we finished yesterday's pie, and you ate two pieces both nights, so of course there's not any more. I wonder what there is in the house. Pollyanna gave herself up to housewifely musings, which resulted in the inquiry. Do you think you'd like a rabbit? Jimmy assured her with every appearance of sincerity that nothing he could think of would taste better than a rabbit. I'll hang one or two pictures while you're making it, he said, and then you can pass on them afterward. Pollyanna hurried away to avert starvation from the head of the house, cheered in her task by Jimmy's tuneful whistling and the creaking of the stepladder as he moved it from place to place. The delicious odour of melting cheese was diffusing itself agreeably about the tiny apartment, when in an instant Pollyanna's heart was turned to water by the sound of a terrific crash in the living room. She ran in, a fork in one hand and a large spoon in the other, to find Jimmy standing in the middle of the room, gazing tragically on a pile of debris at his feet. "'Jimmy!' Pollyanna gasped, terrified by his expression. "'What is it? Are you much hurt?' Jimmy looked at her. "'No!' he said in a hollow voice. I'm not hurt, but I deserve to be. I've ruined one of our wedding presents. Oh, is that all? Well, you know, dear, that accidents will happen in the best regulated families. With a relief that manifested itself in extreme light-heartedness, Pollyanna contemplated the wreckage strewn about the new rug. Jimmy had made a thorough job of it. Frame and glass and picture were all reduced to bits and blended in an indistinguishable jumble. "'I can't give you any explanation or excuse,' continued Jimmy, still in tones of tragic gloom. "'I simply stood still right in the middle of the room and let it drop. "'Did you ever hear of such a preposterous performance? "'And it smashed against those andirons the Conways gave us. "'I moved them out from under the couch where you put them. "'And see what's left of it.' "'Pollyanna stooped over the fragments. "'Why?' she exclaimed. "'And an attentive listener,' might have detected a suggestion of agreeable surprise in her tone. "'It's Mrs. Frost's picture!' "'Yes,' groaned Jimmy, "'and less than an hour ago you were saying that it was sacred.' "'I didn't mean that picture especially, Jimmy. I meant anything that people do for you, because they love you.' "'Oh, my cheese!' 
Pollyanna flew back to the kitchen, whither a subdued Jimmy presently followed her to inquire dolefully for a dustpan and brush. "'You're going to sit right down with me and give your entire attention to this rarebit. I'll brush up that litter in the morning. I think the janitor will have more respect for me after tomorrow,' said Pollyanna, as she poured a savoury bubbling concoction over the slices of toast. "'You see, he sends up the dumbwaiter every morning for our trash.' We don't have any garbage to speak of, because we eat everything up except potato parings and eggshells, and everything is so clean and new that there's not any dust. It's a good thing to have some rubbish to send down before he gets to the point where he thinks it's not worth while to bother with us. And this cheerful view so relieved Jimmy's mind that he was able to do full justice to the rarebit, which, by some miracle, proved to be delicious instead of tasting scorched, as it had every right to do. But he was not to go to sleep without still furthered comfort. For, just as he was dropping off, Pollyanna's drowsy voice recalled him from the land of dreams. "'Jimmy, if any of our wedding presents was fated to be broken, I'm glad it was that particular one.' Even in the darkness, Jimmy did not trust himself to smile. "'Yes, dear,' he said, in a tone nicely balanced, between contrition and congratulation. That's the way I feel about it. End of chapter 4 Recording by Claire